Open your Bibles to Psalm 89, where the first opening words of that song came from. Psalm 89. The publishers of the songbook didn't know, but you can know. Psalm 89, verse 15. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. Psalm 89 is a messianic psalm, 52 verses long, that introduces David and then the son of David. And it's a wonderful psalm, but in verse 15 it says, Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. And from a New Testament perspective, the answer is very simple. Jesus saves. Earth shall celebrate her jubilee. All debt's going to be lifted off this planet, off the universe. All the corruption that's tearing it up right now going to be lifted? Is the whole universe going to celebrate a jubilee? Indeed. And we sang about it, let the nations now rejoice. And we are some of the nations of the Gentiles rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Daniel chapter 9 again. Daniel chapter 9 again. I want to read it to you again. You never learned even two times two by going over it once. And you certainly didn't learn nine times nine because remember how hard that one was. Repetition. We may not come this way in a while. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. This is Daniel, a Jew, writing about the Jews and Israel. Seventy weeks. They're prophetic weeks of years. So there's 490 years involved. To finish the transgression. That's that the Jews would commit the greatest crime of all, crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ to finish the transgression so that God could bring upon them all the righteous blood shed in the earth from Abel to Zechariah. To make an end of sins, Jesus put away sin by the death of himself on the cross. To make reconciliation for iniquity, he reconciled those with no righteousness that were great sinners to God through Jesus Christ. To bring in everlasting righteousness, which Jesus Christ did, so that we are clothed in his righteousness. And as my brother prayed earlier today, he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Our sins went on Christ, Christ's righteousness went on us. And to seal up the vision and prophecy, to blind the Jews so that they would not understand scripture. They missed the Messiah. But it wasn't sealed and bound up for us. We've been over these phrases before. If you want detailed information about each of these phrases, it's entitled Six Things Determined in a little magnifying glass on our website. And to anoint the most holy, the Lord Jesus Christ anointed as the Messiah, which then this passage goes on to describe. Those six things are determined and they came to pass everlasting righteousness was brought in. An end was put to sin. Reconciliation was made for iniquity. Come back in your Bibles to Isaiah 52. The third Old Testament passage we'll refer to at this time. Isaiah 52. John 16, 8 through 11 is actually quite negative by itself. Because it's reproof for three problems. Reproof for sin, reproof for a lack of righteousness, 
in reproof for judgment coming. But there is a solution for all three things, and it's found in Jesus Christ. And so we have this. These are different dogs. These are dogs doing a different barking work. They're not barking to warn. They're cheerfully barking to let us know that there's good things happening. Verse 7 of Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. And the context here is not a reigning of judgment, but a reigning of salvation. What a beautiful verse. This is quoted by the Apostle Paul. Do you know where? Where is this verse quoted by the Apostle Paul? Romans 10. This passage is quoted by Paul, and he then goes on to explain that without a preacher, they cannot hear. If they haven't heard, they can't believe. If they can't believe, then they won't know if they have righteousness or not. And they won't preach unless they're sent. It's all there in Romans 10, about verses 14 through 17, and it's from right here, how beautiful. But the emphasis of this passage should be good tidings, peace, good tidings, of good, publishing, salvation. And so we're going to look now at John 16, 8 through 11, at the solution for the three problems that the world was to be reproved for. We have a solution for them. The three problems are sin. The world is under the burden of sin threefold. Adam's sin, their sin, and a sin nature that only knows how to sin. Three deaths are because of that sin. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. The lake of fire called, in that context, the second death. Three different ways that sin is condemning us. Three different deaths it brings upon us. But there was an end to be made to sin. 490 years was determined upon Daniel's people. And that was written in 456 B.C. You say, how do you know it was 456 B.C.? Very easily. It's the only date that it could have been. Because the solution is in Jesus Christ. How do we study the Bible? Are we going to go to Usher's chronology? That might, If you're holding a, a reference Bible right now, or some sort of a study Bible, you're going to have Usher's chronology that doesn't have a clue about Daniel 9. How do we know when the decree of Cyrus was made? By backing up from the most important event in human history, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So we just back up and start that way. We don't try to figure it out from some Egyptian astrologist or astronomer. To an Egyptian, they're the same. Ptolemy. That is a subject for another time. There's a lengthy document on our website explaining that we go with the inspired prophet, not the pagan philosopher. 
or chronologer. John 16, verse 8, when he, that is the Holy Spirit, has come, he, that is the Holy Spirit, through the ministry of the, pre, of the apostles, will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So Jesus told his men, I'm going to give you divine enablement. You will have the memory, you'll have the mind, and you'll have the mouth to go preach. Warn them about sin, especially because they didn't believe on me, and that especially applied to the Jews, because they're the ones that didn't believe the most evidence, and they're the ones that crucified Jesus. Go and warn them about righteousness, that they have none, and their vain ideas of securing righteousness are wrong. Go tell them that, because all righteousness is in me, and I'm going to my Father. I have finished the work. There is no other righteousness to add. There is no other righteousness to obtain. I have finished it. And verse 11, warn them about judgment, because I've already started with the prince of their world, the governor of their world, the God of their world. I've already started with him by throwing him out of heaven. If I can throw him out of heaven, it will be easy to throw his followers out of heaven. They'll never get into heaven. And so it's, it's warning. It's negative. It's a reproving ministry. And when you look at the ministry of Jesus, when he's dealing with Pharisees, and when you look at the Acts of the Apostles, and they're dealing with the Jewish leadership, it was ferocious. It was reproving. It was negative. And so were the epistles written when they refer to any of those parties. But... There's also in the Word of God a great deal of promise and hope to us. Let's just look at sin for just a minute or two. Acts chapter 2. Remember, someone was supposed to bring a joyful sound. Someone was supposed to bring good tidings of good and glad tidings of peace and publish salvation. Who was going to do it? The same man. The same man. Oh, yes, the apostles. After Peter finished that opening sermon, that salvo of a blast against the Jewish leadership in Acts chapter 2, ending at verse 36, look at the response. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. So there's sin taken care of on the first sermon on the day of Pentecost. As soon as the Holy Spirit was in them, he reproved them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But when they showed they had life and conviction about sin, he gave them the solution. The solution is in Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. He was the one that bore your sins and died on the cross now why don't you be buried? You repent of your sins and be buried and raised again from water to show that you are laying all your trust and hope on his finished work. Right off the bat, there's the solution. And so we have heard the joyful sound by those same men. Look at chapter 3. Chapter 3 is Pentecost afternoon. Chapter 2 is Pentecost morning. What time did Luke and Peter say it was when the, when the day of Pentecost unfolded and Peter began to preach his first sermon in chapter 2? It was 9 a.m., the third hour. Chapter 3, we're told the time as well in verse 1. 
What time is it? It's the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. in the afternoon. So they baptized 3,000 after preaching and exhorting them with many other words about the destruction of Jerusalem that was coming. They got lunch. They went to prayer time in the temple. And they were still full of the Holy Ghost. Do you think they were exhausted after baptizing 3,000 and preaching what they just preached? They were all coming up and slapping Peter on the back, saying, Peter, a week ago you couldn't find Joel in the Bible. They didn't have a smartphone. Peter couldn't have found Joel. And you just opened Joel up and explained it with the logical deductions that we saw in the first sermon? What are you going to do next? Well, chapter 3 is next. And here we go. We're going to jump right into the middle of it because that's all we have time for. He rebuked them and reproved them. Look what he said in verses 14 and 15. Ye denied the Holy One and the just. God sent your Messiah to you, but ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. And you killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Now is that reproving? That's powerful reproving on Pentecost afternoon. But verse 19, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Amen. And look at all the way down to verse 26. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. So there is a solution to the sin problem. Do you know that there are other verses in the New Testament about the solution to the sin problem? I don't want you to think I couldn't find them. But I need to go on to verse 10. Verse 10 is righteousness. That we don't have righteousness of our own, so we need righteousness from Him. Look at Romans chapter 1. Is there anything in the New Testament about the solution for the righteousness problem? Oh yes. How far does Paul get in the epistle to the Romans before he mentions it. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. His intro salutation took through verse 8. Or verse 6, or 7, wherever you want to pick a stopping point for his salutation. How many periods do you see in verses 1 through 7? He's just rolling with his salutation. But notice, as soon as he gets down to business, it's verse 17. For therein, and that is in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For, all, for you elect the chosen of God in Rome, because he's already mentioned that to them in, the, in those early verses, to you that are elect of God in Rome that have repented and have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we get to share the gospel between us. And for the mutual encouragement of us, I want to get to Rome to where I can preach the gospel to you also. Not to get them saved, to increase their rejoicing. They were already saved. So, But verse 15, look what it says. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. They were already saved, and their faith was known throughout the whole world because it says so in verse 8. But I want to preach to you so that we can mutually be encouraged in the righteousness solution. I hope you see it. 
it's, uh, it's pretty plain. Look at Romans chapter 2. Now that's, we don't want to look at Romans 2. Let's look at Romans 3. I hope you understand. Romans chapter 3. The Apostle Paul deals with sin and the lack of righteousness from 1.18 to 3.20. And he is unmerciful to sinners, and he shouldn't be merciful to sinners. He takes care of the Gentiles in chapter 1. He takes care of the Jews in chapter 2. And then he summarizes by saying, I think I've already proved that both of you are condemned. This is how it goes. 3.19. Now we know. This is Paul writing. It's all been about sin and their lack of righteousness. You say, prove that to me, okay? Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Is that a good reference right there for the reproving work about righteousness? Right there. Where's he getting that from? Psalm 14. I mean, he's laying the word of God on these, this audience in Rome. Verse 19, now we know, now we know, this is an obvious Given point that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Is that reproof? Is that reproving, rebuking, indicting, arraigning, censuring, charging, commanding? Re- is it upbraiding them? It's beautiful. We know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Our preaching is to bring the law of God to bear to show you that all are guilty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But, 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 we want a solution. Pastor, you've just spent the last three minutes on reproving about their lack of righteousness. Give me a solution. It's the next verse. But now, The righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all, them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And you know, we could just keep on reading. There's a solution to the righteousness problem. God is righteous. The foolish shall not stand in his sight. He hates all workers of iniquity. Psalm 5, 5. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Jesus will pronounce, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. I never loved you. I never had any affection for you. I never made any intentions for you. Get out of my sight. Just like the fallen angels. He is a righteous God. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. You know that Romans chapter 5, the whole thing is about this point. But to limit our time, verse 19. 
For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That is the doctrine of original sin. That is the doctrine of the representation of Adam. That is the doctrine that is commonly called federal headship. We are responsible for eating the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's why babies die. No one knows why babies die except someone that knows Romans 5. Because we, the wages of sin is death. How does a baby die? Because a baby is guilty, not of their own sin. Because it, it is described in Romans chapter 9 that the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil. But why, do, why are there so many miscarriages? Why do the unborn die? Why do young infants die? Because they're guilty of sin of Adam. There's a sin problem and there's a righteousness problem and God is righteous. God made a covenant with Adam that what Adam did would be applied to the entire race. That's why the Bible says, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So we have verse 19. The first half of the verse is terrible. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. See, it only took the disobedience of one to make many sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. There's the solution right there. The obedience of one. You will never obey enough to stand before Almighty God, the righteous one of of the universe, and be accepted on your righteousness. We have never taught it. We have never implied it. We've never hinted at it. We we reject it entirely. We have to be there by his singular obedience and the righteousness he got for us. Romans 4 is beautiful. That's going backward a little bit. It's all about Abraham. You know, the Jews put their trust in Abraham. And so the Apostle Paul asked them about Abraham. You know, is, uh, when was Abraham really justified? When did God say that Abraham was righteous? Oh, was it Genesis 15? Was it really Genesis 15? Oh, so that was two chapters before he got circumcised? Oh, that was 430 years before God gave the law to Moses? Follow with me. These are the arguments of the scripture. The apostle Paul was a logician and rhetorician with no peer. Paul was fantastic. Okay, so you Jews are really worked up about the law? Well, chapters 2 and 3 prove that none of them were justified by the law. They were all guilty. Chapter 4 is, okay, you want to pull Abraham on me. Well, when God said that Abraham was justified and righteous, that was Genesis 15. He wasn't circumcised until Genesis 17. And Moses didn't bring the law around until for 430 years later. Now what do you want to say about Abraham? <laughs> Paul is beautiful. Yes. Then... Oh, so you want to keep playing games with me? Let's go all the way back. Let's go back to Adam. That's why Romans 5 is where it is. Romans 1 through 3 is Moses. Romans 4 is Abraham. Romans 5 is Adam. I'm going to get all you Jews and Gentiles in one common father. All you, all you Gentiles are sitting there in Rome saying, this doesn't apply to me yet. This doesn't apply to me yet. Romans 5 will apply it to you. Let's all go back to our common father, Adam. You're all sinners in Adam. And for those that have been chosen in Christ Jesus before the world began, you're all righteous in the second Adam. The Bible says we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. 
The Bible says the same thing in 2 Timothy 1.9, that according to his purpose, he put us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That's how we get into Christ. Our names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. That's what it says in Revelation 17.8 and 13.8. All in agreement, and God promised us eternal life by covenant before the world began. That's what it says in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. And so there's a solution Amen. to the sin problem and the righteousness problem. Yeah. Now, what about judgment? Is he able to deliver us? Because we're going to stand before God, and the books are going to be opened, and we will have sins sufficient to easily sink us into the lowest hell. But whoso was found in the book of life was not cast into the lake of fire. There will be a difference made because there's a solution for judgment by Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now... Can he really save you? You're at Romans 5. A common point that I make, because I'm hoping that our young men and women will never forget it. Look at verse 10. Romans 5.10. Judgment to come. When we say judgment to come, that means future judgment. The terror of the Lord that has not been unleashed on the universe yet is coming. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, God is happy, pleased, and accepts us because of Jesus dying for us. That's the first half of the verse. Much more. Now, I think the first half of the verse is pretty wonderful. And when Paul starts to add much more, you've got to wonder about him. But he's inspired, so you don't wonder anymore. You know that he's got some big point to make. For anyone that's doubting, if you're really secure from coming judgment. I'm going to start over. If, if the second you give me the first half of the verse, I'm going to tell you you have the second half of the verse. I'm going to make you deny the first half of the verse if you are not fully convinced that you are absolutely secure. I will make you deny Jesus Christ. His whole existence depends on not losing one. If he loses even one, he is a fraud, a cheat, and a liar. I will back you up into it. Do you agree with the if of the first half of the verse? For if, when we were enemies, but we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, being reconciled with our sins taken out of the way, we shall be saved by his life. He is sitting at the right hand of God to make sure that not a single one is lost. You need a lawyer. But you have a lawyer. You can't afford the retainer. God paid it for you. Does he know the judge? He's the judge's son. Thank you, David. I know. I know, just copying you again. But it's wonderful stuff. Wasn't it, sister? We told them, didn't we? Look at that. You have a lawyer. You can't be lost. Judgment to come, blown away by the one that is already there. Come over to Romans chapter 8. Let me give it to you again. Do you have any cross-references yet written in your Bible? What should be beside Romans 5.10? Shouldn't it be 8.34? What should be beside Romans 8.34? Shouldn't it be Romans 5.10? 
You want one for both of them? Hebrews 7.25. Because he's able to save to the uttermost. Yes. Romans 8.34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Now that put away our sins and that gave us righteousness. Yea, rather, yea, rather, something better than Christ dying that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Not only did he die, not only did he rise again, he is at the right hand of God making intercession for us. He is our attorney, on retainer with God. We cannot be lost. He will save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. That's the gospel solution for sin, righteousness, and judgment. And could more be said? Yes, more could be said. I told you there was 10 hours to be said, and that was after carefully limiting it, because otherwise you would end up with the Bible in three testaments, sin, righteousness, and judgment, because the whole Bible is about it, and it starts as early as Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where God told the devil about John 12 and John 16. The woman's seed will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. The seed there ain't all of us. The seed there is the Lord Jesus Christ, the singular seed of the woman, Jesus of Nazareth. And so the whole Bible, it can be summarized from this angle, and the Lord Jesus did it for us, sin, righteousness, and judgment, and he took all three out of the way in the strongest of terms possible. Not only are we reconciled to God by the death of his son, he ever lives to make sure that not a single one is lost. He is our surety. There, if you were to be lost, and you have, you have put your trust in God through Jesus Christ for you to be lost, Jesus is a fraud and a liar. No one will ever meet Jesus who put their trust in him and be kicked out. Can I prove that with the Bible? All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.